the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Today, experiencing the Miracle Zone in the jungles of Borneo. Welcome back to Lifeline. That, by the way, is coincidentally the title of a new book co-authored by my guest today, Ronnie Habor and Pastor Don Sheely from Church of the Highlands. Of course, you know Pastor Don from his daily broadcast, Daybreak, heard weekday mornings at 6.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. Pastor Sheely, let me turn back to you. There is a manner in which your church here in the San Francisco Bay Area is actively engaging believers into literally going into the mission field in Borneo. Tell us a bit more about that. One of the exciting programs we're having at the church is we're taking over groups maybe once a year from our congregation and having them become involved. And in July, we have 22 of our young people plus some adults, 14 or 15 adults, and we sent over a exploratory team a couple months ago so that we could find a project for these 22 kids. Sirani has set aside 10 acres on his in his area, and uh, they're presently digging the holes, and we're going to be planting an orchard, a, f- a fruit orchard, so that in a couple, three years, the children will be enjoying. But by sending our young people there, it is absolutely a life-changing experience. I was going to say, you know, so often people say, well, I'm going to go, we're going to go build um, homes in uh, Mexico because we want to do something for them. And we, when we come with this idea that we are going to minister to them, and while indeed that takes place, more often than not, the real ministry takes place as these people experience what God is doing there and then bring that back home to the Bay Area. Yeah, it's amazing. I think... And I have three wonderful boys that God has given to us. And years ago, we used to send them to Mexico. And that experience of ministering in Mexico turned their hearts towards ministry. So I have the joy of having all three of my sons working with me. But our prayer is that when these young people go uh, in the next couple of months, that we're going to see some life-changing experiences. And they'll come home and ignite our youth group with their love for Christ and and the experience of which they're going through. If it could only be made mandatory that as young people come to Jesus Christ and they get involved in, in pure discipleship and they learn to love the Lord, read his word, uh, live out his word, share that love with others, and then be required to go on a trip overseas and watch God work and be a part of yep. that. Mm-hmm. And the, the change that happens when you come back, you're not the same person. Mm-hmm. And what we did as a church, we talked it over, it's quite a large sum, $3,000 to send one over to Borneo for two weeks. So what we did as a church, we put up the 2000 so that all the youth had to do was raise 1000 which was they were able to do. And so they have become, in a very real way, a part of the project. But the, we think it's a tremendous investment in the lives of young people as a church. I'm going to tell you, Pastor Don, at the end of the day, um, you you couldn't do better if you sent him to seminary for 10 years. That's right. Because what God will do in that experience. What's the, um, what's the long-term vision here? I know a lot of this type of work is day by day, but in terms of the burden in your heart, 
you've now developed this campus, the orphanage, the school. We're seeing multi-generational fruit as a result of, as we mentioned before, more than 500 kids are being ministered to on this multi-acre facility, literally in the middle of the, the jungle there in Borneo. Um, as God continues to percolate a vision in your, your mind's eye. Well, if we look at uh, the, the area there, it's very, um, there's still a huge remote area there that is untouched. And there are still lots of tribes that are completely without the gospel message and uh, where the world is, hasn't been yet. So um, our desire is eventually, you know, God, God said to us to sort of prepare a place for a 1,000 neglected kids and build schools for 2,000. Now we're halfway with having half of the kids there. So, um, but uh, so our concentration is on that and reaching that goal first. In the meantime, of course, lots of kids are coming to the Lord and lots of kids are, are going out as well. And, um, but our aim is to duplicate the word even further into the jungle because we're reaching uh, a sort of uh, an area uh, there, but there are still um, many uh, areas there to, to reach with the gospel message. So, um, but it's... If we if we work from where we are now, that would take us a month or so to get where we need to get, and uh, that would be just all, uh, almost impossible. But we'd like to sort of set up another base there, deep in the jungle, and then release another whole group of people to be able to start there another work to the to those tribes that are there. They're more more primitive, they're more hostile. Uh, so again, we need to send out people who know who they are in Christ. It sounds like you're training up an army. Yeah, so we're going to do just that. All of our all of our young people, you see, we um, we send a lot of them off to Bible colleges throughout the country. We also send them off to universities because um, our schools need teachers. All our teachers that we have now are all our homegrown kids that have been with us for years and years, and we send them off to university then, and then they come back and they help us with the next generation of kids coming in. So all our teachers, we've got 36 now, teachers that are all our own. Uh, we also have um, another 34 in universities now scattered throughout the country. So uh, one has just finished his doctorate. Uh, he, he's a medical um, pr- practitioner now. Uh, he still has to do uh, pra- practical work in some of the Indonesian hospitals throughout the country until December, and then he'll be our own residential doctor in our clinic. And so that's where it starts all, that, that a lot of these kids are coming back now, and uh, uh, they never believed that they could do this, you see. From the start that we arrived there 20 years ago, we always heard, even from the local people there, that they're too primitive, too stupid, too uneducated, too, they can't achieve anything. They've been told that by all the other groups of, around the country. And we always said, no, 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 you know, God has created us all equally. You know, we're all created in the image of God. So, so if, if you have the opportunity to be able to be educated, then, you know, you can, just, you can be the teacher as well and the doctor and whatever. So we've proven that now with them, and they know that now themselves. They see that now, so they're, they're ministering to their, the next generation coming through and... Uh, it's a, it's a very strange world. I mean, we have, we have children there, uh, of young people there who are 15, 16, have never been to school in their lives before when they come to our place. But we have to teach them how to read and write and teach them how to go through primary school before they can go to secondary school and all those sort of things. So it's a, it's a, a very different sort of ministry than you would have, uh, say, in a Christian school here in the West. I would suspect some of our listeners might be curious, uh, Ronnie, as we began our conversation this afternoon talking about sacrifices that your family made in the very get-go. One or two listeners might be thinking, well, I bet as soon as these kids got old enough, doing any work on the mission field was the farthest thing from their mind. Tell us a bit about where your family is at today. Uh, Well, our family, my my two older kids from my first wife, 
they're both in Australia at the moment, and they're married, and so they're they're uh, they love the Lord, but they're not in ministry. They're not uh, they've got their own jobs and stuff like that. So um, then I've got two kids of my second wife, right? And uh, uh, the oldest, Nathaniel, he's just been through Bible college in Australia. He went to finish off his two years high school there, and then he uh, went to Bible college. He's getting married next month. He's a wonderful young girl. Now uh, he's 21 and she's 21, so. Um, a great, great young couple, uh, pa- so passionate for God, on fire for the Lord. They're very involved with youth, um, with uh, uh, young people and uh, with the church there. Uh, I asked him uh, recently, I said, do you ever think you'll come back to Borneo and, you know, carry on the work here? And he goes, Dad, if God wants it that way, he said, it'll happen. You know, so he's, they're coming over for Christmas time and with his bride, and uh, so uh, they're going to really enjoy because he, he's... He, he was one years old when we went over there, so this is all he's known. Yeah, and so he misses he misses uh, everybody there. But then when he's at our place in Borneo, then he misses everybody back here in Australia. So they live a little bit in two worlds. A younger son, Joel, he he just left to go to Australia. Uh, why that is? Because he wasn't really coping very well with homeschooling, uh, and uh, we, I just, my wife and I, sort of were really struggling with him. He was missing out on a lot of things. He wasn't coping really that well, and. Uh, so we said to each other, you know, here we are giving education to 500 children, the best education that we can give them. They said, we're neglecting our own. Mm. So I said, um, you know, we need to, this is not right. We need to do something about this. So we decided then as a family that he should go back to Australia and do his last years of uh, high school there, and then we'll see what happens there. But it meant that Kay would have to go with him. So Kay's now at the moment with him there in Australia. So that is a three-year commitment. And uh, so I'm in Borneo. She's in uh, Australia. And uh, again, you know, we were talk- just talking about, are you prepared to give up uh, your family? Well, I see this a little bit as I've, I'm giving up my family, you know. I mean, I, I would, I'm missing them like crazy and uh, we miss each other like crazy, but we just, we're, we're, we are goal setters and we know that we've given our lives to the Lord and whatever, at whatever cost. Now, this is a cost that we pay, I know, but it's, it's a goal that we've set. Three years, it's going to be finished in no time. And then uh, either... Joel will go on to university or to higher education and Kay will come back to Borneo or whatever. Um, but we just see this as yeah, just one of those things. And God is there with us. So she comes twice a year to Borneo in the school holidays and I'll go over there in between when I'm on my travels to wherever and I might just pop in for a week or so. So uh, next month I'm going to see them again. I haven't seen them for four months now, so it'll be great to be with them and be at the wedding. So. Yeah, it's great. Well, congratulations on uh, the, the new addition to the family and the new book, Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo. And as we mentioned at the get-go, um, you can get more information on the web, livingwatersvillage.com. That's livingwatersvillage.com. You've got photographs there. Folks can see yes. the entire uh, development. And as Pastor Sheely mentioned, 60-something buildings. It, it really is a miracle in the middle of that jungle yeah. there. And that's a great way to get educated about the ministry and, of course, uh, to lend support as well. And so if folks want to get more information, uh, maybe this is uh, something you pray about and say, you know, uh, we'd like to be a part of this and stand with um, uh, the ministry of Ronnie Habor and the family there at Living Waters Village. Uh, Pray for them, certainly. And then if the Lord puts the burden on your heart for economic support, uh, folks, I would imagine, can make a donation right through the website. They can, and they can come over as well and give us a hand if they want to. Well, so that's like right. In, in fact, yeah. just like the team coming from Church yeah. of the Highlands, and uh, you know, if you want to be planted into a good, dynamic church with solid Bible teaching and a real demonstrative passion for 
a Christian worldview that um, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts, I guess that would be San Bruno, um, Northern California, and all the way into uh, the jungles of Borneo. Uh, check out Church of the Highlands, the broadcast, of course, weekday mornings at 6.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. You can get information on the web, churchofthehighlands.org. That's churchofthehighlands.org. And if listeners, Pastor Sheely, have a burden and say, you know what? This is exactly the kind of ministry I've been looking for. This is exactly the kind of thing that I'd I'd like to go and experience. Um, some of these trips uh, in the future are they open to folks coming and getting more information about? Yes, we maybe open going? Up, we open up the trips, and uh, we'll probably have two trips next year. And uh, but the interesting thing about it, Craig, is we can send over carpenters, whatever it is, because they're building a city. So whatever's needed in a city. Ronnie needs it for the help. So if they want to help teach the children in the school, if they want whatever they want to do, they can use their their abilities there. And the reason why I like this project in in the years that uh, we have been involved in missions, oftentimes we can send them dollar bills and and but they don't to send over a church family to help is is really not uh, the most effective way. But here's a project where we can just say to the church we're going to be taking another tour. Come and join us, and uh, we've already built our Highlands house there at the uh, orphanage, so we can, how many can we accommodate, Ronnie? Uh, about 50, I think, in that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ronnie and I sat down a couple of years ago in, in a restaurant, and we drew out the kind of house we wanted and made it much like a, a motel, and with the idea that because the parents sometimes that are living want to come see their children, so it gives them a place to stay. And we have churches from all over the world coming there to help, so it gives them uh, some uh, living quarters and uh, I guess when we send our team a couple of months, our kids are going to yeah. be staying there in the Highlands house. Yeah. So if you want to get more information, again, you can um, go to Ronnie Habor's website at livingwatersvillage.com. That's livingwatersvillage.com. You can also call Church of the Highlands in San Bruno if you'd like to find out more about the next opportunity to travel on a missions trip. You'll go with the intention of helping to change lives and come back a changed person. Yeah. Uh, on the web, churchofthehighlands.org, or you can call the church directly at area code 650-873-4095. That's 650-873-4095. Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo, new book written and co-authored by Ronnie Habor and Pastor Don Sheely from Church of the Highlands. Ronnie, great to see you again. Appreciate the visit. Yeah, Pastor you, Don Sheely, always wonderful to have you drop God by. God bless you, Greg. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. The White House has been expressing regret over the way in which Qurans were disposed of in Afghanistan. Now, you might recall a couple of three years ago, maybe four years ago, pallets of New Testaments were sent to Afghanistan by Christian organization here in America to be available to distribution to members of the United States military. The very presence of God's word on Afghan soil made the Afghanis so upset that in order to deal with the controversy, the United States military burned them, didn't put them back on a plane and ship them back to the States. They just set them on fire. Nobody said a word. We complained about it on this program. Few others covered the story. Largely, nobody said a word. Now, the White House is doing a lot of hand-wringing over this entire issue. 
because it seems as if uh, there's major concerns over the fact that the United States military improperly, quote-unquote, disposed of copies of the Koran in Afghanistan. In fact, there's uh, been some statements made by uh, General John Allen, commander for the International Security Assistance Force, offering his sincere apologies over what transpired. ISAF personnel at Bagram Air Base improperly disposed of a large number of Islamic religious materials, which included Qurans. We immediately intervened and stopped them. The materials recovered will be properly handled by appropriate religious authorities. We are thoroughly investigating the incident, and we are taking steps to ensure this does not ever happen again. Of course, it's their country, and I guess they can have their own rules with regard to Sharia law and so forth. But I just find it quite ironic that uh, they had no issue with the burning of thousands of Bibles, and yet Qurans being disposed of inappropriately, and everything in the United States military comes to a grinding halt. Walid Shobat joins us now. He himself is the author of a number of best-selling books, including Dear Muslim, Let Me Tell You Why I Believed. Uh, Israel and the World's Mock Trial, and his latest book, God's War on Terror. And Wally, great to have you back on the program. Thank you for having me. What is uh, first your reaction to this news uh, coming out of Afghanistan with regards to the apologies and the mea culpas in the handling of these Qurans? Well, it's very shocking. Uh, we've had those kind of apologies uh, happen when, uh, I believe, also military servicemen urinated on dead terrorists, yet that's a major issue. Yet the killing of Americans, or even the invitation of uh, the uh, 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 Prime Minister of Transportation of Iraq, which was involved, who was involved in the Khobar Tower massacres, killing American servicemen, uh, he's welcome to the White House. You know, those kind of things is beginning to show the American people that there is uh, a double standard here in which the Obama administration uh, suppresses uh, the issues that relate to the American people's rights to investigate even the 9-11 issues in which uh, Judge Daniels, uh, a federal judge in the Havlish case, discovered that Iran is involved in 9-11 in which uh, agents of the Iranian regime uh, like Hadi Al-Amri visits the White House, and of course the president uh, releases, uh, sends back, I guess, our troops uh, as a Christmas present, yet ignoring those issues of persecution of Christians globally in Egypt, uh, in Iraq, uh, in much of the Muslim world, uh, in which, uh, let's face it, I mean, there are thousands of cases in which Islamists burned uh, Bibles, uh, even in historical uh, recent times, uh, and even back to the Damur massacre in Lebanon, in which they used them for toilet paper. They used Bibles for toilet paper. Let's not forget the destruction of holy sites, even in Israel. Nothing was done by our administration, in which uh, even Joseph's tomb was desecrated, and Torah scrolls were defecated on, and uh, things that are is very difficult to describe on the program. Instead of addressing the major issues that we have, you know, uh, in which the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt are advancing through deception. That's a subject we'd love to discuss on your show, in which they use uh, uh, what is called muruna to twist the uh, 
Sharia laws itself and permit Muslims from carrying out all kinds of evil activities. Well, let's talk about what's going on there, uh, since you brought it up. Uh, we, we all know, of course, 30 years ago, the assassination of Anwar Sadat, largely because he dared to enter into a peace agreement uh, with the nation of Israel. Um, for the course of the following 30 years, Hosni Mubarak, granted while somewhat uh, favorable or friendly with uh, the West, nevertheless, was a totalitarian leader. Uh, he eventually gets ousted, as we know, during the so-called uh, Arab Spring. And uh, this is applauded much by the administration that we see the deposing of this dictator and the idea of a true democracy now coming to um, Egypt. And yet instead, we instead what we've really seen is, is the overtaking of that nation by the, the, the Islamists. Uh, we've seen better than 80% elected to the parliament there. It is just within the last um, several weeks, for example, uh, there in Egypt that some 3,000 Coptic Christians uh, were driven from their homes and villages, businesses burned down, churches burned down, uh, and yet the international media, uh, let alone the administration, has nothing to say about this. Nothing whatsoever. In fact, the general guide of the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood, Muhammad Badir, who laid out his vision for the post-revolutionary era in Egypt, while revealing aspects of strategy uh, to his followers, showed a great deal of uh, how to combat secularism. In fact, they're reversing secularism in Egypt. In fact, I quote him verbatim. I translated it. It was translated from the Arabic. He says, do not fight in the ways of the world because they are overpowering, but try to overcome and use them, change their course, and pit some of them against the other. It's a master scheme of reversing secularism in Egypt and advancing Islamist cause and saying that the Muslims now need to kind of join in with secularists in order to pit uh, people against each other and change the course of the situation in Egypt. Uh, when Badir says to overcome and use the ways of the world, he is instructing Muslims worldwide on how to overcome Western secularism. It was precisely this purpose for which the Muslim Brotherhood advanced a new doctrine called Muruna, M-U-R-U-N-A, which Americans and Westerners fairly are accustomed to. It was prescribed by Sheikh Yusuf al-Qaradawi, the main Muslim Brotherhood intellect, and what its goal is to basically sanction all Islamic prohibitions. In other words, we're talking about Sharia laws, despite the Sharia laws is really in contrary to our constitution, uh, now, certain Sharia laws that basically protect uh, human beings for surviving or protects or even uh, prohibits Muslims in working in banks are all permitted. Now, uh, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood has, has an injunction to allow the killing uh, of even Muslims in Western countries. Uh, if they are shielded by Western society, it's okay. As long as you kill the Americans, you kill the Muslims in, in in the process, that's fine. I could go through all kinds of documents and all kinds of issues here, uh, but Americans need to begin to understand the deception factor that the Muslim Brotherhood is applying with Maruna, in which they reverse uh, all uh, laws, even in Sharia, to make permitted to permit the Muslims from uh, carrying out evil acts. In fact, I could give the quotes. Uh, to show what this plan is all about. Let me have you pause at that point. I want to have you share uh, that, if you would, Wally, but do so uninterrupted. So let's do this. Let's get an update on traffic real quick here, get a look at some headline news. We'll come back to more of our conversation. Wally Chobot, my guest. 
as we're talking about uh, the the deception plan uh, underway in Egypt. And I tell you, we got a lot to be concerned about, folks. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to our conversation. Waleed Shobat, my guest. Waleed, if you're not familiar with his work in ministry, is a former Palestinian terrorist and um, joins us now as we're talking about uh, what's been going on with the changes uh, since the fall of the Mubarak regime in uh, Egypt last year. Uh, there had been so much hope of the so-called Arab Spring, but yet as we've seen nation after nation in that region, Tunisia and Libya and Egypt and so on, fall, uh, we're beginning to find out that this Arab Spring is turning into the Islamic winter. Talk a bit about um, what you were sharing just before the break, Waleed, and that is uh, this tactic that's being used by the Muslim Brotherhood that has gained so much power, almost 75 to 80% of the seats in the Egyptian parliament now under their control. Uh, what exactly are they up to right now, and, and what's going on with the changes in relationship to Sharia law there? Well, it is actually a tactic titled Maruna, M, like Mary, U-R-U-N-A. In fact, people could look it up and look at my research by just plugging my name, Shubat and Maruna. It was a doctrine that was prescribed by, by none other than Sheikh Yusuf al-Qaradawi, who's the main Muslim Brotherhood intellect. He initiated the doctrine in December, as far back as 1989, December, while in, he was in the, while in the United States, even during an annual conference with the Association of the Muslim Youth Forum, with Muhammad Hamidi, who, by the way, is a leading rebel in Libya who participated heavily in the Arab Spring. Hamidi is also the head of the Muslim Brotherhood in Mauritania. So the idea of Muruna is really to pull the wool, pull the, you know, uh, deceive the West in talking about this whole idea of Arab Spring and all of these things, when it, in fact it is an Islamic Spring. And... The doctrine really aspires for deception against the West. The doctrine really is a, was a long-term plan. Uh, it should be very great interest to every American. In, in, in what the forum termed the priorities of the Islamic movement in the next three decades, from 1990 to 2020, they plan to attain what they described as what they called the goal of the Islamic movement, which confirms the general leader of the Muslim Brotherhood, Badir, which he made it recently, the statement that uh, they want to basically uh, uh, have Egypt come back and change the society, and I quote it verbatim, to lead society, all of society, to bring back the caliphate to announce jihad, either by arms or by pen or by heart. And they talk about global takeover of the world. Muruna was designed to catapult and advance Sharia by using Western means. And if one thinks that Sharia, with its harsh code, is problematic enough, how about the elimination of the kinder, gentler laws of Sharia? Muruna is literally accomplished by permitting behavior normally is, in, uh, is chewed by the Sharia law itself that Westerners logically see more moderate version of Islam. When such prohibitions are suddenly permitted, uh, you, be, you begin to see uh, a change in the Muslim world. Westerners, you know, in fact, uh, are being deceived. Muruna is about going to great lengths to gain interest through uh, a much deeper level of deception, while simultaneously 
lowering the guard and gaining the support of the what they call the infidels. Uh, in fact, uh, the series of preparing the atmosphere under the uh, what they call the workings of as-si'ah, which is inclusion and muruna, which is flexibility in this case. And this is the quote that they have in their law, in this doctrine verbatim, translated into English. It says, Sharia's ability to be flexible and inclusive is that it cares for their needs while excusing the burdens Muslims have to endure for the sake of their destiny. It was made lawful for them to have exceptions from the law that are appropriate for them since these exceptions match their general goals to make it easy for humanity by removing the chains of Sharia law they were made to adhere in previous Sharia rulings. In other words, let's make null and void Sharia laws that prohibits the Muslim from doing certain things well, by befriending the unbelievers, working in banking, a Muslim girl uh, now is allowed to marry a non-Muslim in the West, as we've seen with the case of Anthony Weiner and Huma Abedin, which her mother Saleh Abedin was a member of the Muslim Brotherhood. Now, this is why I began to investigate this whole issue. That story then raised a red flag. How could it be possible that Sheikh Yusuf al-Qaradawi of the Muslim Brotherhood allows such a marriage when in Islam it's prohibited? In fact, it, it mandates the death penalty. So the West in this case sees, wow, look, the Muslim Brotherhood has moderated when nothing of the such. It is really a ruse in order to basically put spies in the West. This is, this, is, this is really infiltration, what we're talking about here, then. Exactly what it is. In fact, it's infiltration to the point that all the Islamic injunctions, all the uh, prohibitions have been made to be uh, uh, sanctified. In fact, I can uh, give one quote that basically puts an end to the argument. Uh, and this quote from Muruna Doctrine by the Muslim Brotherhood, it states, I quote, when evil and harm conflict as necessities demand, we must then choose the least of the two evils or harms. This is what the experts in jurisprudence decided. If interests and harms and evils conflict or benefits conflict with evils, what is then to be decided is to review each benefit and each evil and its consequences so the minor evils are forgiven for the sake of the greater long-term benefit. In fact, I add what they have stated here, which is more extreme. He said, they say, the evil is, so, uh, is also accepted even if that evil is extreme and normally considered deplorable. In other words, deplorable evils now are permitted in Islam in order to carry out these interests for the Muslim Brotherhood. Wow. Let's pause on that point. We're going to come back. I mean, this again, you talk about the frog in the kettle approach, this notion of temporary setting aside of some aspects of Sharia law, as Walid Shobat is suggesting, uh, in order to allow Islam greater ability to penetrate uh, Western life, uh, all with the idea in mind of not becoming a you know, friendlier, uh, uh, newer version of Islam, but rather... Uh, in order to penetrate to have greater influence uh, with a goal in mind of, of uh, doing just that, and that is the changing of our culture and our society. This is serious stuff. We're going to take a time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation. His latest best-selling book, God's War on Terror, 
former Palestinian terrorist Waleed Shobat. Back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, back to our conversation tonight with Waleed Shobat. Waleed is uh, formerly involved with the PLO. Uh, he, of anybody in this country, understands exactly what is going on with the so-called Arab Spring, which for many is turning into an Islamic winter. We're talking about the Islamic Brotherhood, or the, or the Muslim Brotherhood, rather, uh, their impact on Middle Eastern politics, most specifically what they've done in Egypt and other parts of the world. And it's interesting because when you talk, Walid, about the degree of uh, the Muruna uh, deception here. Uh, this goes to the highest levels. There are reports that we have read uh, during the fall of regimes in Libya with Gaddafi and in Egypt with Mubarak that the influence of the Muslim Brotherhood uh, has been lauded as, quote, mostly or largely secular and that they have been considered heroes uh, in opening a pathway toward democracy. But is this the case? That's absolutely false not true. The Al-Nahda uh, in Tunisia is very much pro-Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, in fact, in all these countries, they're talking about advancing towards Jerusalem, which has nothing to do with any Arab Spring. If the idea is to topple uh, all Arab regimes and uh, uh, do away with nationalism altogether for the sake of an Islamic utopia. Uh, all the statements coming out of all the Middle Eastern uh, uh, countries that topple their regimes they're talking about advancing Sharia law. They're talking about a utopian uh, conquest of Islam. Uh, in fact, many who are astute to Islamic lying, I'm sure you've heard of the term taqiyya, which uh, allows Islamists to lie, but this is much greater. Uh, with Muruna and the Muslim Brotherhood and advancement of what's happening in the Arab Spring, uh, what was uh, once forbidden by Sharia, from major crimes like Muslims killing Muslims to issues of interest banking that include alliances with infidels, was made temporarily now lawful by Muruna. In fact, I give the exact quote. The, the, the Muruna doctrine states, it is permissible then to have alliances with powers that are non-Muslim. They ask the question, can Muslims work in banks that practice usury? For the young Muslims, they should not leave their jobs in banks and insurance agencies despite that their work is evil, since their experience in these agencies would gain experience for what would benefit the Muslim commerce. Whoever examines the issues in the light of the doctrine of a balance, that is Maruna, would find that entry into these arenas is not merely a project, but a preference and a duty. In other words, it is really asking all Muslim communities to infiltrate the West, to infiltrate the banking systems. In fact, even the issues when it comes to the right to life, the individual right to life, can be eliminated under this new law. Uh, under the section titled The Necessities of the Group, Qaradawi explains that, and I quote, as Sharia considers the individual needs, it permits many prohibitions and consider the necessities of the community. Qaradawi is not short of examples and even commands the killing of Muslims whom the unbelievers use as shields, since leaving these unbelievers is a danger to the Muslims. 
So it is permissible to kill these unbelievers, even if they killed Muslims uh, in the process. So death, mayhem, and even prostitution is sanctioned by the uh, Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, in fact, that's a topic that it will open the Western eyes about sanctioning prostitution, because even in Iran, when they sanction the idea of pleasure marriage, I'm sure you've heard of pleasure marriages in Iran, but how many Americans are familiar with misyar marriage, in which um, middlemen can seal uh, deals with Muslim male clients uh, in order to obtain a Muslim woman under a contract called marriage contract for simply giving sexual services. In fact, you can access it yourself on the Internet. For Internet-savvy travelers, there are countless websites like Misyar Online, M-E-S-I-A-R Online, one word, that allow men to arrange these marriages globally, including in the United States, from the comfort of their hotel rooms in order to basically uh, bring these women for their pleasure marriages. And it's not really a marriage because the prostitution document says it's a marriage document. Misyar, in fact, was made legal in Saudi Arabia and Egypt, made legal, sanctioned. It is law now in Egypt and Saudi Arabia to commit these acts of whoredom. Uh, Sunnis who approve Misyar condemn, of course, the Shiites for muta. Yet they have the same things. What the West needs to understand is that all these things about the Shiites with taqiyya, uh, uh, lying to the enemy, or pleasure marriages, are same, sanctioned in the Sunni world as well, and made lawful in the Sunni world. And in the end, all of this comes down to the matter of, of deception for the purpose of infiltration. And, and once they're able to penetrate Walid, what becomes the agenda then? Well, the agenda, we've seen it. The penetration already happened, you know. Uh, it's been going on for many years. You have Rashad Hussein, who writes the speech for President Obama. I mean, Americans ought to wake up. I look at the Arabic language, and I see interview between Rashad Hussein, the speechwriter of President Obama, and when he made the speech in Egypt, I could see the interview in Al-Ahram newspaper in Arabic language, in which the editor is asking him, when is the time that you will intervene in the issues of nuclear issues with Iran and so on and so forth? And, of course, Rashad Hussein, the speechwriter of President Obama, says that I will intervene when the time is right. It's all about timing. It's all about when they gain the foothold in the West by the time they fight people like me and you and all these people who begin to expose the issues. You could see much of the media talking about anti-Semitism, not that... Uh, there is uh, uh, racism against Jews, but anti-Semitism is being coined to talk about racism with Muslims when, in fact, there is no such thing. Look, America is a country that talks about racism more than any other country in the world. Yet the United States exercises the least amount of racism than any other country in the world. How does the Muslim make the argument that America commits racism against Muslims when the majority of racism that still exists, even in this country, is against Jews? So... You know, this is part of the deception. They, begin, they want to also put in code laws that basically prohibits the freedom of speech in America, in which the Organization of Islamic Council mandated the trial uh, of uh, uh, anyone who says anything against Islam or even critiques Islam to basically even face trial in the Middle East. So if, the, if that happens, that means people like myself and even your own program will be under scrutiny and our freedoms are gone. Uh, so all our forefathers, what they bled and fought for, is for, for, for nil. And this is what the goal is, to take away the freedom 
of Americans and begin the process of the Islamization of the world. Of course, we know that it's taking place literally right underneath our noses. Get more information, by the way, uh, online at Walid's website, Shobat, it's S-H-O-E-B-A-T, Shobat.com. His latest book is entitled God's War on Terror. Information again on the website at Shobot.com or through Amazon.com. And Wally, always a delight and an education to have you with us, brother. We appreciate your time today. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to KFAX.com. That's KFAX.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.